Today's sponsor is FreshBooks, which makes cloud accounting software that's ridiculously easy to use. FreshBooks has completely transformed how 5 million small business owners deal with paperwork. They do everything from invoices to expenses to time tracking. You can get a 30-day free trial and start saving time and money at freshbooks.com slash Peter. This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm here with Zay Frank. Zay, I normally describe you as the king of BuzzFeed video, even more formal title. What's the, what's the actual title? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm the president of BuzzFeed Entertainment Group, newly. That, that's a new title. That's a new title. Before you were yeah. called something else, and you guys yeah. have shuffled the org. Actually, let's just talk about that now and, and get it over with and sure. have the rest of the conversation. So you guys, the way I view it, there's BuzzFeed News. I don't know if it's actually called that. Ben Smith runs that. He's super smart. They that is what it's scoops. called. BuzzFeed They're on News. on the East Coast. Yeah. You run all the video stuff over here in Los Angeles, and that's where I think a lot of the company's energy seems to be going. There's a big debate about that. Anyway, you guys you guys put out a memo, tried to explain it. Then there was a New York Times story that tried to explain what was going on. You and your own words can explain to us, the podcast listeners, about how you guys have reshuffled the org and why. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think that it was really a simplification of the structure. I mean, BuzzFeed News is is amazing. Uh, it's growing. It's international. Increasingly, the idea of having, you know, video as a medium uh, be segmented just didn't make any sense. You I mean, made it, it, all the video, and there really was no news video for the, the most part, right? Uh, there was some news video. We had, we had recently had uh, Henry Goldman, who was one of the um, – very first hires in my group go and join Ben. Right, but you um, have you have literally a, like a hangar full of people. We have many hangers full of you have people. Many hangers. Yeah, 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 you yeah, should, yeah. It should be a year ago. Maybe you've <laughs> multiplied since then. But you yeah. have hundreds of people working on yeah. this stuff. Yeah. They were all making video that was not related to the the news stuff. Yeah, that's true. And you know, uh, both Ben and I had been looking at different ways of uh, you know thinking about news and video. I think Ben rightly uh, for a long time felt like news was best served as text and images. And, uh, you know, we sort of had a lot of back and forth about what the best sort of strategy uh, to go in to that uh, area was. I think that, you know, over time, the idea of a segmented video department, like like I just said, just felt like having a segmented mobile department, right? It, it just, it, it felt like behind the times, it, it's a horizontal capability. I, there was a great title of an article, which I didn't read, uh, <laughs> which which said that video is the new HTML. And I do think that that's right. I think it's a literacy. So this is something, so we can pull it out a little bit from BuzzFeed yep. and make it broader, right? There's this big overarching momentum towards video. It's coming from viewers. It's coming from platforms like Facebook, which are saying we're doing video. Publishers are saying we're doing video. And there's a lot of logic to it. I think for folks like myself who don't make video, really, for the most part, grow up typing stuff, there's a thought of, well, what are we going to do in that world where the world's moving towards images, visual images? It's traditionally not something we've done. It seems like that was some of the tension going on at, at BuzzFeed, maybe still is. But what does the world look like for people who don't make video? Well, I, I, I don't think that it fundamentally shifts that much. But if you look at where – I mean, I think that the, the best work that we do and I think a really good indicator of where things are moving is where content and communication come together. And that's really what you know is happening in Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook – and there's a fluidity. There's, you know, it's it's a hybridization of images, of moving images, of text, um, and video. And uh, you know, increasingly with cell phones uh, and live streams, the there's just uh, you know a literacy 
in uh, visual aesthetics and visual communication that are just becoming you, part of culture. We, I, we can yep. get super nerdy about this, but do you think yeah. this is where, where humans just always have been and just that there's now technology that's bringing them moving pictures on their phones that they can carry on in their pocket? Or do you think human being there's something's changed where people want this and they didn't want it 10 years ago or 50 years ago? Oh, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I, you know, if you want to, you know, there's there's ideas around pre-oral and post-oral culture oh, I, and, and I things, totally you know. This up. My, whole, yeah. my whole fear was you've got a linguistics degree, right? <laughs> no, not at no, all. Not sorry. at all. You have a no, fancy no. degree from Brown, right? Yeah, neuroscience. Neuroscience, it's, it's, excuse me, Zero application to this conversation. That you were going um, to brain me out of this. No, no, no. I, no. I mean, the, the simple way of thinking about it is that, you know, uh, communication that is rooted in, in visual aesthetics has, as a different kind of information flow than than text does. I mean, text is a is a much deeper rarefication of information, and and the you know the way that you communicate, the things that you communicate about are actually very different. In visual culture, uh, you know what you, you get a lot more bytes or bits of data, uh, or you know with facial gestures, with yeah. all this other stuff. So so I do think that it's something that is innate. I think that uh, you know it's 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 probably too early to tell. You know what? What it actually uh, starts to shift in terms of you know industries and and culture broadly, but we're you know we're seeing a lot of it already, just in you know the the how rapid the takeoff of video was, and I think uh, maybe the most telling aspect of it was this unintended effect of of when Facebook introduced the autoplay, where it just became obvious that people didn't need sound. And and that, like, has shifted Because that was supposed to be sort of a Band-Aid thing, yeah, right? Like, until we can figure out how to do this, we're just going to not run any sound so you don't get stuff coming at you. Yeah, exactly. And and then it turned out that, that you know, uh, watching things without sound, I mean, anecdotally, I will say that that when I take long flights, I catch myself watching the screen, you know, in front of me with no sound, <laughs> like and watching a full movie that uh, that you know uh, my uh, seat n- uh, neighbor is is watching. So the first movies didn't have sound. Now we're 2016. We're making movies without sound. Do you think this is a temporary thing, um, or, or do you think they actually that we're just sort of going to change the way we make we do communication and sort of de-emphasize the sound? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I mean the de-emphasis would just come out of the scale, right? I mean, you know, I think I still think that the there's going to be a significant proportion of of uh, video consumed with audio because audio adds like you know massive amounts of information. But I do think that right, if you want to see increase, Star Wars with the sound, it changes radically, right? It's not as impressive. Yeah, it changes radically, but it's still pretty exciting. I mean, I think that you know the one thing is with globalization and the fact that you know a lot of borders and territories are kind of getting. Uh, chopped down, and I'm thinking mainly in, in entertainment media, where it's been a highly territorial market, and you know things get adapted, and there's a formats market in con every year. But you know these uh, the big social platforms, it's big global audiences, and and if you want to take advantage of, I think some of the biggest opportunities right now in lightweight entertainment media, which is hitting global audiences, learning about other cultures, having cultures see themselves through different lenses, it's post-literate. It's it's really about post-literatism, and then it's also about adaptation. So you say post-literate, and you think that's a good thing. Because some people would hear that or see that and go, this is the end of the world. We're, we're making stuff that can travel everywhere, which means you have to dumb it down. If you're making something that someone in China and the U.S. can enjoy equally, that means you've just flattened it out, and it's just sort of pablum. Yeah, I I come in in contact with those kinds of people. I don't <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, that's a very defensive viewpoint. I think that I'm a you know person. from I I always like to think that 
regardless of who you are or what you're doing for someone else, you're an example that culture is in decline. And this is just <laughs> another uh, example of that. I, I do think that you lose things in big cultural transitions uh, that, that involve, you know, media norms shifting, but you also gain a lot. And, and there's a kind of a shakeout period where you have to mourn the things that you're losing and, and embrace the things that, that are coming out of it. That's kind of the story of the internet, right? I think it is. It takes some things down. It gives you new things in return. Yep. And you get to weigh which thing. But there you is liked. a real loss. I mean, there's there's no question about it. I, I I do think that there are some things that we lose, and I do think that it's it is a fair point. I don't think that dumbing it down is necessarily how I would look at it. I think it's uh, the accentuation of different values, and and you see that quite a bit with you know the the sort of values around diversity, around identity, and and these sort of softer skills that that avoid intellectual uh, dissection uh, as easily. So let's. Ooh, I'm, I'm afraid of intellectual dissection. Let's pull it back further. Yeah, yeah. I may, I may oh, dumb it down for myself. Jeez. Let's just, if for some reason you're still listening to this and you don't know what BuzzFeed does in terms of video, give us a sense of scale and scope, how much stuff you guys are putting out, how many folks are watching this stuff. It's well, so I, why don't we actually take it back? I think that before I do that, it would be good to just go through the split a little bit more sure. specifically. So BuzzFeed News, Ben Smith, global news operation. This gives him the ability to double down where he sees fit uh, without, you know, having a, an arbitrary companion that he has to clear, you know, budgets or, or strategy through. Obviously, I work very closely with Ben. But I think this, you know, gives him an opportunity to put those priorities first. Uh, BuzzFeed Entertainment Group is BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, which is shows, characters, uh, personalities. And it's going to be movies. Uh, yeah, movies, movies as well. Yeah. No TV There's shows yet? In development right now um, with a number of uh, different partners. Uh, Matthew Hennick is, is our head of development and has lots of different projects uh, in play. I, you know, television... I, I think is is still a pretty exciting opportunity. I love digital media. I mean, it's where my heart is. And I think that, you know, the SVOD and AVOD and the continued expansion of those spaces is uh, provides a, a really great play space with things that will look very familiar. That's the Netflix is the world. That's and right. AVOD is the Amazons. AVOD would be YouTube, YouTube yeah. and, and, and Facebook stuff. to some extent, although they're signaling a shift in that marketplace. So well, you're doing all that, that, and then you've also taken There's some of the Tasty. Yep. Tasty is another organization under the the entertainment group, and that's just this giant juggernaut, which is uh, you know it's a food brand. It also has uh, spun out other lifestyle brands like Nifty and Top Knot. My notes say uh, ask about Tasty, so I'm going to ask about Tasty. Okay, there. and then the third is BuzzFeed Editorial, which is uh, Peggy Wang, Tommy Wesley. They've been running this uh, incredible. You know, group that is the intellectual powerhouse. I think of social publishing for us. And this uh, is a what lot people of people talked about the lists. This is quizzes, lists, quizzes, everything that's not news, that kind of stuff. but it appears right. on a screen that doesn't have moving stuff around. So all yep. the lists this week, the hot quiz, at least in my social graph, is is the uh, how millennial are you mm. graph? Is it? <laughs> am I in a tiny bubble where that's not really popular broadly, or is everyone loving that? That yeah, no, right no. Now? It's I mean, really, the, the you know there. That's where most of the the real development of BuzzFeed's thinking about uh, social has has come from, and a lot of our the creation videos of lists and quizzes like that, all that stuff. I mean, it's been this you know it's is a fast paced iteration lab, and a lot of video successes come out of adapting the big winners there for video, and 
Uh, so that group is now starting to not only think about uh, the O&O and, and the app, but also starting to think about where the density of social publishing is happening for millennials right now, which is Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and, and these other platforms. So, so you it's, have all it's the fun move. stuff. <laughs> you have all the stuff that's growing really, really fast. really depends on what you, what you, you consider fun. Well, if you hang less... out with Ben for, for a couple of days, you realize that there's a whole other category Yeah, Ben of has fun. a very particular idea of fun yeah, yeah, that yeah. I actually probably gravitate to as well. <laughs> But and this is also where a lot of the money is going, right? Advertisers really like this stuff, whether it's the listicles and especially the video. So it seems like we talk about a split, but it doesn't seem like it's a real split. It seems like a lot of the, the, the weight of BuzzFeed has sort of shifted under you. And well, frankly, they, it seems like it had been that way for a while. I think, I mean, it's, it's the entertainment part of our content generation. The advertising portion of our business is, is not under me. Uh, that was another um, shift that happened fairly recently. But you I, make the stuff that the advertising statue, right? Uh, no, we have we have a, a you know a large uh, oh, so the branded content the branded group. Yeah, videos. Yeah, that's absolutely. a whole separate organization. You don't touch uh, that anymore. Under under Greg Coleman, I mean, you know, our organization is such that everyone touches everything. Right. I mean, we're always in constant conversation. Most of the you know the successes that we've had have been by linking all the different parts of our organization, which increasingly, like you know. I would expect that one of the the kind of questions that you would have is is that you know in a entertainment and news paradigm in a distributed economy you you are left with all these kinds of disconnected pillars all over the place. You have a giant Facebook operation, you have a Snapchat operation, you have an O and O, and you know the key to it has been linking those things together. So. There's no way that I can go a week without having a, a conversation with Greg or with Jen White or anyone in that part of the organization, and likewise with Ben's organization. So, all right, so we've figured out the org chart. We'll zoom back and just, again, give – if you're listening, you know what this is, right? You know that you have this giant video juggernaut um, and that you were early to sort of figuring out social video, Facebook video. It seems like you guys have really solved Facebook video. I assume you're spending a ton of time trying to figure out Snapchat. Are there platforms that you don't feel like you've got a handle on yet? Well, you know, I, I actually still think that video on Facebook is evolving quite a bit. I think that uh, that's one of the most interesting pieces of creating entertainment content, certainly, is that the context constantly shifts, right? And and I think that we certainly contributed in pulling pulling media culture uh, towards us, or at least you know the trend ended up you know around something that we were fairly familiar with. And so, you know, I I, I still uh, feel like there's a lot left to explore there around different you know vertical categories. I think that it's still you, you got know, food, you nailed food. Yeah, I mean it's it's all over the place. I think you know male content is is still a, a territory that um, stuff is, made that men like stuff. Yeah, that attracts male audiences. I mean it's it's generally those audiences are hybridized, but you know gaming is certainly an area where where there's uh, a plethora of male audiences. Uh, you have some of the sort of men's rags from the UK, that aesthetic uh, starting to take off in social spaces. Women in swimsuits usually attract eyeballs. 
Yeah, that was it's certainly kind of that, that was certainly the sort of Felix Dennis model, yeah. you know, the 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 Maxim stuff uh, mm-hmm. model. I think that there's also, you know, there there are some really great other models like early details, and you know, I think that the lots of lists and lots of queries about you know how stuff works, and yeah. it's 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 actually it, it crosses over quite a bit. I mean, when you make stuff that is interesting uh, for for men in a in a sort of deeper way, I think you also get a a, a women's demo. Um, in terms of platforms, I, I still feel like live is something that is coming into its own. I think you know the, the platform space is still a little messy there. Um, so you guys made a big splash. You did the exploding watermelon for mm-hmm. Facebook Live. Facebook is paying you guys, or paying Vox Media, they're paying a lot of other different publishers to make uh, live video. Would you guys have done live without Facebook saying, "Here's here's a few million bucks, go make some stuff"? Yeah, we. I mean, live is certainly you know it's it is one of those places where content and communication come together, and you can't avoid those spaces. You have to get into them. I think uh, the 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 big question with live is whether the 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 goal is massive singular tune in, or whether there's some other kind of aesthetic. Because if you look at the majority of the the live streams that are happening in uh, on the, at the consumer level, they're really about niche audiences and right. these kind of like you know sort of large scaled out networks of individuals who are communicating. And then you know the paradigm that I think most publishers are interested in is television, and the massive tune on television. Right. And see- that's a platform that that's a platform mechanic issue. That's about notifications. It has to do with a lot that's, of different. But it's things. also about why if you're in the audience, why would you want to to be watching something live that many other people are watching. I get why a publisher wants that to happen, why a TV network wants that to happen, why an advertiser wants that to happen. To me, it seems like the stuff that I care about being live, not many other people are going to care about, that it is going to be the niche audience. It could be. I, you know... I, I agree with you that this is this is certainly going to be one of those spaces that's fraught with uh, comparisons to models that we understand. And you know, you you, you quipped about the, uh, the the exploding watermelon. So the exploding watermelon came out of a a prior little stunt where one of my producers, Ella, had uh, pranked me and put goats into my office. And what we saw, like I had been delayed at a meeting, so I the, the prank just never went live for forever, forty five minutes, and. The the viewership just kept on climbing, right. just with a room full of empty goats and Ella coming in once in a while saying, "I think he's going to be here in five minutes." Sorry, and then I walked into the room and everyone just left the live stream. So, you know, the the watermelon was was an attempt to try to understand whether there was a rarefied form of suspense that that had to do with this stuff. And I do think when when live really comes into its own, and I think Facebook's going to be a really big part of that, and so will YouTube, and obviously uh, a lot of the the uh, uh, the apps, the the sort of social and messaging apps, I think that we're going to have we're, we're going to see a lot of new uh, paradigms for what live content can be besides just sports. Because there there was that phase a few years ago where live was interesting, and YouTube and Red Bull pushed the guy out of the spaceship, Felix Baumgartner, and that got eight million concurrent views, and that was pretty cool. And then my thought was, well, if you've already pushed a guy out of a spaceship. There's not a lot more you can do that's going to involve, build a bigger spaceship. Build you know? a bigger spaceship, <laughs> make I don't know two people, uh, and then you at the same time you had to push uh, on TV to do those kind of stunts, and they, I think they pulled back because they were worried about someone like falling off a tightrope over the Grand Canyon or wherever it was. And you guys had a non-threatening version of that with the watermelon, right? 
Um, Not from the watermelon's perspective. Yeah, no, yeah. very threatening for them. I mean, we can, we can get super heady, but I always thought the whole point of the internet and, and what you guys really exploited is it's on demand. I watch something when it's interesting to me, when it's interesting to me, not because a network or someone has said, watch this thing live now. I don't, I mean, that's certainly, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize that as the point at all. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's ultimately about people connecting to other people. I mean, that's yep. that's actually the biggest, that's... When they to, want to connect, right? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's circumstances when the fact that there is some kind of simultaneity counts. Now, I, you know, oh man, I had a point and I lost it. Uh, <laughs> Should we take a break? We can hear from an advertiser? <laughs> sure. All right, we'll, we'll hear from an advertiser. We'll be back in one minute. Thanks. FreshBooks is the super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over 5 million small business owners conquer their paperwork in less time with way less stress. It takes about 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid an average of three days faster. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've mailed. It's like having accounting superpowers. FreshBooks is offering a free month to all Recode Media listeners right now. To claim your offer, go to freshbooks.com slash Peter, enter Recode Media in the How You've Heard About Us section. You guys can figure out why you need that. That's freshbooks.com slash Peter to start your 30-day free trial. Today's show was brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company that everyone can afford. With the Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. It's the same stuff you'd find on more expensive sites, just way cheaper. Videoblocks is always adding new content, so it stays fresh. And as a subscriber, you get everything 100% royalty-free, even if you cancel your subscription. Whether you're working on personal or commercial projects, you pay zero royalties and keep what you download forever. Videoblocks is offering my listeners a one-year subscription for $99. That's 50 bucks off the usual price tag for my listeners only, less than 10 bucks a month. You can get your subscription today for only 99 bucks at videoblocks.com slash recode. That's V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash recode for this exclusive offer. Today's show is also sponsored by Helix Sleep. Most mattresses are one size fits all, and if you want a customized mattress, that would cost you thousands of dollars until now. Go to helixsleep.com, answer a few simple questions. They will run a 3D biomechanical model of your body, which sounds scary, but apparently it's good. They'll use that model to engineer the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. Helix customers report a 30% improvement in overall sleep quality better for couples because they customize each side of the mattress. Your mattress shows up at your door in about a week. Shipping is 100% free and you have 100 nights to try it out. If you don't love it, they will pick it up, bring it back, give you 100% refund, no questions asked. Sounds great. Go to helixsleep.com slash recode. You get 50 bucks off your order. That's helixsleep.com slash recode. I'm back here with Zay Frank, king of BuzzFeed Video. He's remembered his point. What's your point, Zay? <laughs> well, no, I, I guess one of the things that I ha- have thought a lot about, and, and Jonah has has thought a lot about, is that Jonah a lot Pretty, of the, your CEO. yeah, Jonah Pretty. Of course, if you listened this deep, you know who Jonah yeah. Pretty is. Uh, so, so is that you know a lot of the, the the paradigm for making entertainment has always been this idea of connecting to the audience, but it's always been the audience connecting back to the media or the person who created the media and the point. Uh, I think the paradigm shift is really about creating media that allows people to connect with people that they already care about, which is actually that's that's a 
that is different, right? I mean, one is kind of uh, pointed between the the creator of the of the piece of media, the media, and then the audience member, and you try to increase that connection around loyalty and all those things. The other paradigm is to make media that allows people to strengthen the connections with people that they care about right. and, and all that. So, so live, you know, interestingly pushes a little bit. It does have that idea that a lot of people are connected to the same thing simultaneously. And to your point before, that idea of simultaneity itself, maybe there's something there. I don't know. I mean, is is there, you know, why do we gather together in movie theaters to, to watch it? It's not just the visceral experience. I think that there is something about the density of people. Right. And then if you listen to people that I talk to all the time, they say, we want to not go to movie theaters anymore. I want to, I would pay a giant premium to watch this first run movie at home. But I think there's still a bunch of folks who do want to go see that movie yeah. in a theater if they can. Um, we talked about Tasty a couple times. Let's, let's talk about it a little bit more. Yep. This seems like a, a thing that has been around forever, but it's like just a year old, right? Just a year old, yeah. So again, you probably know what this is. Tasty is your it's your food vertical, right? And it's got a very specific look and feel that everyone has now copied, but it's an overhead shot of someone assembling something sort of rapid fire. Hands, yep, hands, hands in frame. making and, stuff. Yep, that's right. Um, I Supposedly, you could watch it several times, learn how to make it, or you click on it and you get the recipe. How did you guys come up with that concept? How did it? How was that hatched? It really, it really came out of uh, a number of experiments that were going on when Facebook launched uh, its uh, autoplay for real, and we started to see signal around, you know, sort of forty seconds. And the idea of audio independence became really big. We had a team called FB40, which was forty-second Facebook Wait, videos. Explain, explain what that means. Facebook, we which which part? The the forty-second part being important. Oh, we just noticed that those were getting shared and watched the more. The videos that were yeah, around forty seconds. If, if the entire video is forty seconds, that was a sweet spot. And you it was a sweet spot. Yeah, in terms of like yeah, completion rates, all that kind of stuff. This is a while back. This is you know over a year ago now, and we tried a lot of different a lot of different stuff. We we looked at hacks. We looked at uh, you know um, facts videos. We looked at all sorts of things. So and you, the length you knew was a winner. You mm-hmm. didn't know what the content would be. Nope. Nope. Yeah. And it was just, you know, and then what we do at, at BuzzFeed is we go back and we look at things that have been successful in the past and we put them through that kind of platform lens. And, you know, the uh, the food group, uh, part of BuzzFeed Food at the time, did uh, an amazing kind of quick cell phone shot of a, of a sort of Nutella hack. And then, you know, it just went from there. So it there became was... obvious that food in and of itself was a sweet spot on top of all those so things. So you had a food group. Mm-hmm. They were yep. making all sorts of content. I'm yep. sure it was popular because food's always been popular. Yep. You guys independently decide 40 seconds is the sweet spot for Facebook instant or autoplay video. And you cast around and say, who can make stuff that's 40 seconds? Yep. And the food guys go, here's a cell phone shot of a Nutella. What was it? Yeah, it was, it was a, I, I forget what the exact thing was, uh, but it was a monster. It had a massive share rate. That's, that's really what we were looking for uh, specifically. And then even from there, it took a while because we just started doing a whole bunch of food hacks and tricks and like, a, you know, a, a bunch of stuff. And, and I think, you know, it, it became, one, one thing that I'm always sort of obsessed with, and I think other people in my group are as well, is that uh, generally if you can find a workhorse category, so a category where, you know, it, it, there's just limitless iterations and possibilities available, and generally it's something that people have, have kind of uh, decided is, is done, right? And recipes was just sitting there. I mean, the recipe, the, the world of recipes had not been reinvented beyond, you know, just a 
list of text and right, and, 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 and also the internet and, and recipes are closely linked, right? As soon as people had the ability to sort of share stuff, post stuff online, they did recipes right away. It was a big thing from the get go. Yeah, and so the idea that you would like go back to that category seems silly because it had already been done. That's right. That's right. And and you know, I I, I kind of forget the first win that was in the recipe space, but then it just kind of uh, it got cracked wide open, and you know, the team had been you know really thinking about different ways of remixing and rehashing and they got very interested in the idea of uh, the the amateur chef of bringing cooking back to the sort of the sort of more pedestrian level. They really thought very carefully about things like making sure that it was okay if the flour spilled on the table. It was okay if it didn't have to be pristine. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even the food, the categories of food that were explored were you know back to sort of a simplistic view. At, at one point, you know, somebody said ninety nine percent of the food content that you see is created by experts and ninety nine. Point nine percent of the food that's eaten is 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 eaten no, by amateurs. Right. Yeah. That's right. So it's food porn. Yeah. Point. Well, I don't. Yeah. Or that's the way it's commonly. You, you, we don't expect it's aspirational. Right? I think that's you, you're right. never going to make this, but look, you could. But I think also underlying this was was a lot of social thinking, which was that you know food is is the thing that we connect over. If you think about you know I'm, I want to go uh, and see my best friend over dinner, over drinks. So right. there was you know there's and and it's also this you know it is it is a social glue. It's it's one of the few things where you and I can have a fundamental disagreement and still uh, have a great conversation over. Your love of uh, right. particular food items. So, how long did it life? take to you guys to go? What's the right length for video? Forty seconds. What's the right content? Food. What's All happened right over a, in a couple months. A couple months. You guys mm-hmm. created this out of whole cloth. It seems like an instant success. I think it really is. You can. We don't need to repeat the stats, but it's huge, right? Yeah. So, two things happen. One, it becomes a, a money maker for you guys, right? Because it's it also works. Just started perfectly. in January this year on the, on okay. the monetization front. Because yeah, that's it's, that's it's just fastest growing part of, of our business. It's a there. super obvious way for GM or whoever, General Mills or whoever, to insert their product. That's a something that travels on Facebook. You can get paid for it. You've created it's an identifiable format. It also seems like it's super easy for anyone else to replicate. I mean, you guys can't copyright an overhead camera making food, right? Yeah, so that's right. Anyone can and now does make the same thing. When everyone now has a tasty clone, what does that do to to your business? I sort of think it's it's good overall. I mean, I, I certainly invite you know everybody who wants to to participate in this format. Uh, you know, the the truth of the matter is is that we're four times larger than our closest uh, competitor. And we're, you know, just in the United States alone, something like eight or nine percent of the population subscribe to the page. And then if you look at sharing, it's fifty percent of the the population has seen a, a, fa- a tasty video so each month. So more people cloning that format, doing the same thing, doesn't cut into your traffic. Does it put any pressure on you, you on know, the advertiser growth? front because they think, oh, actually, I can do this myself? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. I think that that's going to be a tendency no matter what you do. I mean, this is internet culture. Right. You know, we're we're looking at a lot of things that I think appear easy on the outside. Once you you know get your hands dirty, you realize that it's it's pretty difficult. That the devil's in the details on this stuff. 
uh, you know, the, the bottom line is that the videos that we make are just so much more successful just from a, just a share rate and, and, uh, organic view rate. It's just, they're just so, they just do so much better. Partially that's, that's how we make them. It's because that, you know, we've been thinking about this sort of social underpinnings of this from the beginning. It's a constant evolutionary process and partially it's just because we're so huge. And then how much pressure is on you? Over a hundred, you know, over a hundred million you know, page likes globally now uh, on that. And in the U.S., bigger than Beyonce. How? And I had to say that. And <laughs> and and the next page we have to overtake uh, on Facebook is uh, Manchester United. So Beyonce is smaller than Man U, huh? I guess so, right. yeah. <laughs> so how much pressure is, is on you guys internally, externally to take what you're doing with food and tasty and say, all right, well, this obviously can work for 20 other formats, so hurry up and figure it out. I don't think it's so obvious that it that it would work for twenty other formats. I think that you haven't done that. Well, Nifty, uh, you know, Nifty is uh, you know grew even faster than Tasty. And it's, Nifty is uh, Nifty is a, a creative home, uh-huh. so DIY design, all that kind of uh, stuff. So, so I do think that there are categories where 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 the idea of having a simple, uh, overarching mechanic or recognizable format that leads to you know l- large scale growth, uh, it, there is stuff there. I do think that it's probably a fallacy to just uh, try to do the rinse and repeat model. What I do think because you and, haven't done that, right? You haven't done twenty other versions of Tasty. You've got Nifty. well, global. Right. I mean, we've we've made a lot of. There's a lot of global uh, uh, Tasty. Uh, right. Right. By, so, so by cuisine and, and country, country. Yeah. But, but the point is, like, you haven't done one for auto repair, or I don't know what it would be. So the point is that that formats is you can't transfer it, or you've tried transferring it doesn't work to other things. Well, with uh, yeah, I, I think that just doing a, a straight one for one on the presentation of it is is a mistake. Uh-huh. You really are looking for some other underlying mechanics. I think that those mechanics are there, but you have to think about it on a vertical by vertical basis or on a demographic by demographic basis. What you what I think is the smarter idea is to think about how you can use all that potential energy to learn more and. Start Start to promote other other uh, entities. So, taking uh, you know with Nifty, one of the things that we very quickly did was find ways for Nifty to integrate into Tasty. So, Nifty Kitchen is an, is an obvious one. Uh, when we're looking at health and well-being, it's the same kind of thing. When we have our talent uh, across our organization, uh, there's opportunities for them to do videos in Tasty and drive subscribers to their Facebook pages, to, to videos, and and uh, and back to the MNO as and, well. And that structure you had set up where you guys could have the original insight that a 40-second video worked really well and then sort of cast around for what would work. Um, I'm assuming you're trying to do that all the time, right? Try to figure out, oh, this thing works well here. What what would work That is the basis of our entire business. That's how you're set up. That right? is – that is that is uh, it's just the core process. So when we move into Snapchat Discover, it's the same kind of thing. And, and we – you know, you have to be set up for that. I think that that's, that's the kind of the distributed publishing paradigm is that you have to have some centralization of knowledge and you have to be able to get that out to the edges as fast as possible. So, And you guys have talked uh, about that, right? You've got a team that does Facebook. You've got a team that does Instagram and they – monkey around trying to figure out what works and they share that knowledge with their folks increasingly it's not increasingly it's not team by platform anymore it's really it's more by uh, you know other things there's certainly you know there's vertical expertise but there's also these interesting platform mechanics so viral loops overall just the this you know this core intellectual technology uh of the loop 
uh, of virality. So, you know, in, in our case, one of the most exciting things uh, for the site was uh, the basic technology that, that drove quizzes, where the answer that you had, you could share, right. and that had a link back to the to the quiz, and you could generate that kind of a, a loop. We're seeing those kinds of loops in distributed economies as well. So Snapchat quizzes are massively popular because you can DM somebody the the answer. And I was going to ask about that because yeah. Snapchat is social, but it's very different socially than very Facebook, different. right? Yeah. And so I assume there's a lot of stuff that has worked for you in Facebook that just has no application. In Snapchat, or doesn't yeah, work rarely, one-to-one. rarely are there things that have no application. I mean, we we sort of abstract the media from the platform and think about it, you know, more at the at the conceptual level. Uh, but on the other hand, like yes, you're absolutely right. There are things that work better in Facebook than in Instagram, than in Snapchat, than in YouTube. But generally, it's not as much the concept; it's more the presentation mechanics and the format. So we spend a lot of time adapting content so that it works better. On a different platform. In some cases, you know, the core concept is the same, but it, it shows up as an illustration somewhere. And, and but a that quiz impulse that else. you know that you guys started off with, really on Facebook, you were tightly tied to Facebook for a long time, still are, of make stuff that people want to share. Right, mm-hmm. that still works on Snapchat, which is sort of less public, and, and the networks are private. Basically, I mean, there's a, there's a public part of it, but that's not really where the action's going on. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the sharing is just a great signal, and it's you know one of the most convenient signals to to understand how people are using the media to you know embedder their relationships or or using it to connect to other people. You know, certainly in Snapchat, the the sharing signal is there, and and at different times in our you know. Uh, relationship with Snapchat and in the Discover channel in specific, that signal was stronger or weaker. It really depends on the overall dynamics. Just a small platform tweak can suddenly just, you know, change the the influx of new uh, users to to uh, to loyal users and and all of a sudden you know everything kind of gets skewed and the and the kinds of content that it'll do the best also changes but just generally overall it's a really really great signal to iterate off of yeah so that's all the digital stuff but we talked about the fact that you're making it's not all the digital stuff but you're, you're making a traditional couple movies right what have you announced publicly so far? Brother Orange, Warner Brothers. Uh, it's uh, it's a uh, it's going to be um, co-produced with China. Uh, and that's so, yeah. there's, is that's the feature. Yeah, that's a because there's a documentary. This, this is a story based on the story about a BuzzFeed writer in the U.S. who found that there's a guy in China who had his phone. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Great story. Yeah, that's a really uh, great story. And then you guys did a great job of exploiting it. I mean, in the best possible way on the site. And there was originally going to be a documentary, right? Or yeah, still, still in the works. But you, you know. said this is actually better as a feature story, as a as a, as a movie. As I a- mean, different. Uh, you know, just I, I think that docs and and features are are fundamentally different. I think that one of the things with with the documentary is that we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't you know intend for there to be a documentary. We just wanted to capture footage. So I think that the there it's probably more of a challenge to get through a documentary with the uh, with the footage that we captured on that particular run. So you sent out a guy with a camera but it's yeah, that's not so, going to be a movie cuz there's just not enough there or it doesn't work as a movie. Well, no, I mean I think that it's an it's it's sort of an ongoing thing where where the story itself kind of evolves and and especially when you have a feature uh, in the works you're thinking through, you know, the where where the story is going to head, when the when the feature is going to land, all right. that kind of stuff. So you're making this movie, I'm going to see it in a theater. It's it's meant to be distributed in theaters. That's right. And beyond the fact that it's super cool to say we made a movie, mm-hmm. 
and presumably there's financial reward. What's the point of you guys trying out movies or tr- making a movie? I think, well, I mean, aside from the fact that I love movies, yeah, well, uh, and, and I and I still think that they're, you know, they're it's just a it's a massive and viable business. I, I don't think that we're the best at making you know mass scale, uh, big budget feature films, and, right. and that's. Uh, I think that you know the opportunity of taking stories either that come out of our ecosystem or or are fabricated from from the IP that that we work on and, and partnering with with big studios uh, to make you know great cultural moments that you experience in theaters is 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 a great thing. Does the um, does the all the work that you're doing on Facebook and on Snapchat and you've got real interesting data about the way people consume media does that get imported into the movie in any way or is this going to look and feel like not any other movie, but it will look and feel like a traditional movie, and, I, and it won't have beyond the fact that BuzzFeed's name on it. It won't. It won't be some radical new way of telling a story. I think uh, you know, I, I'm probably not the best person to to speak to that. I think you know Michael Schamberg, who's who's uh, producing it, is is going to have a better sense. He's, he's a he's, traditional film guy. He is a traditional film guy. I think the point on this is to make a traditional film, right. and you know the. The the extent to which you know whatever special sauce that we have as a company enters that that movie is is going to be, you know, something that happens in the next what two years as this thing gets made. On the other side of it, the we have broke, uh, which is which is a show uh, that uh, Quinta Brunson created. Uh, that's hitting YouTube Red next week. We have Squad Wars, which is in development. This is stuff that you guys um, bubbled up on your own platform. Mm-hmm. Quinta, someone who came and started working for you, and that's started right. making a scripted show about her life loosely, right? Yep, yep, Here yep. In LA. Mm-hmm. And a number of other projects like that. So you know, I, I don't you know in, in terms of formal exploration of of media and like what it looks like and all that kind of stuff i think you know there's there's places where you can do a lot of work and experimentation and then there's places where you let people who are really great at a you know how to make a good movie go make a good movie we're gonna stay out of your hair it seems like tv is a place where you guys could experiment more since the line between traditional tv and digital is breaking is being erased Um, a lot of the tv networks are freaked out because all their viewers have ended up on buzzfeed and many other platforms have you thoughts about sort of how you remake a TV show? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you mean by TV. You mean consumed on TV. I mean, I think that the biggest thing that I think about are, you know, the cycles of feedback. How how, and where are you going to get feedback from your audience? And, and are you set up to make adjustments? Uh, you right. know, For based the movie, you're going to put the movie out and that's it. It's like two years, right? It's, yeah, there's like giant long cycles. And so I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, I just uh, came back from uh, Brazil and got a chance to see the the Globo uh, telenovela studios, which is just like you know, it's it's almost a, like a different evolutionary line of of media creation. Globo has eighty percent of the market, and and you know makes all the telenovelas. It's their version of the BuzzFeed Video Factory. Yeah, well, yeah, it's but it's you know it's it certainly harkens back to a different time and different era. I think they're the largest consumer of a certain kind of wood in Brazil because they just they fabricate full cities. I mean, it's just the scale is just astronomical, but you know, they think about this, too, I mean, with different cost structure. But, you know, the telenovelas are increasingly uh, being shot and edited in real time and, you know, sent out to test audiences and, and decisions on characters are kind of being made. I, I still think that those lead times are a little too long. But, you know, we're already doing things uh, in conjunction with uh, some networks where we've been 
testing premises for uh, television shows and digital what, shows. What does that mean, pre- testing a premise for a show? So doing it in, in uh, you know, releasing it in AVOD, releasing it on YouTube, and, and you know, you just seeing what a... You create an entire show or you uh, 10 minutes, teaser? 10 to 15 minutes, as long as, you know, you sort of feel you like it presented as this is a test. You just say, here's some stuff. That's right. And you sort of use... This is one of the ideas people have talked about for a while with the internet. Why don't we use this as a test bed? Instead of creating these pilots or lots of inefficiencies in traditional Hollywood and TV, why don't we start farming some of this stuff out to the internet? Amazon's played around with that a little bit. It sounds like you're doing the same thing. Yeah, I think that the the sweet spot is really to get into a rhythm of putting stuff out in front of large groups of people. And we happen to have a very large group of people that we can put stuff in front of. You know, it also takes... It takes thinking about production a little bit differently. It takes uh, a lack of, uh, you know, a, a certain lack of preciousness, let's say, uh, to to take that kind of feedback in and look at the implications of it and make adjustments, which is something that most, you know, creative cycles have a have a difficult time doing. And that's not to say that you know, the you know independent voices and and very distinct points of view aren't incredibly valuable in this too and this is that's so the whole room thing for our chores but we we really value the feedback of what an audience said about this thing i think so i mean i think you know I, either by I, expressing I, I, easy, it or, or turning it off right, right. I, I think that this you know the the way that this collapses into uh, i think sometimes there's a, a mistaken idea that this is somehow an argument between cold uh, data yeah. and and uh, you know irresponsible gut you know or right. or but the truth is is that you know data doesn't generally tell you what to do it 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 breaks ties right it's like if you have a question you can have data help right. you try to make a better decision but ultimately it's gut i mean this is visual this is sort of what we started the whole conversation with is visual aesthetics is i mean it's a deep kind of weird emotional sensation and and most of the stuff that you instinctively do as you edit, as you speak, as you write narrative, as you explore these spaces has nothing to do with data. I mean, but sometimes, right, there's the question is, or the, you frame a different way, you say, the problem with this, or I worry about this, is that you rely on data to guide you a certain way, but you might have the wrong data set. Here, I'll get it, make it more concrete, right? There's the Seinfeld story, low-rated show for the first year or two eventually becomes giant hit. There's the thought that, oh, if, if you're just putting this out in the market and you let everyone look at it on YouTube and they go, I don't like you. I don't like Seinfeld. It's not very good. It took a couple of years to mature. You don't get a Seinfeld. And you can find a million versions of this anecdote. Breaking Bad wasn't a hit the first couple of years, on and on and on. How do you try to hedge for that? That, all right, maybe maybe this is a thing we need to give six months or a year or two years. Or do you go, no, we're just we're not going to we're not going to lean that direction. We're just going to iterate quickly with the data we have. You know, um, I don't know if I have a, a an answer to that. I mean, I think that, you know, hindsight bias obviously is 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 a very difficult proposition for every story of of something deemed a failure that becomes a success. There are many, many uh, stories of things deemed successes that become failures and even more things deemed failures that were actually failures. Right. The market um, said we don't like it and the market was right. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that you, you know, you have to have a sort of point of view on the on the value of uh, of the work that you're creating, and then also the value of scale and distribution. And for us, you know, entertainment. Uh, I heard uh, Jordan Peele once say, you know, for him, a hundred people laughing is better than ten people laughing, and that will always be true. And I, I think that that's right. For entertainment, you want to have 
things that uh, impact people's lives that that uh, in our case draw them closer to to the people that they care about. Uh, but you want a lot, a lot of people. Uh, so to you're be, willing to, to sort of like leave some niche stuff on the table. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, increasingly when you think about uh, entertainment space in the cultural conversation, when you think about the the shows that can change certain entertainment paradigms, uh, can open up new categories, a lot of times this idea of critical success uh, does not have scale attached. And that's definitely an area that's important and, and we value as well. You guys want scale and you're clear about that and unapologetic about it. Good. What do you think about uh, you guys and Viacom? There's there's a lot of people who said, well, Kenny Lair is, is one of your founders. He's now chairman of Viacom. Um, we've just been talking about TV and movies and how you're interested in that. Viacom is a movie and TV business. They need a lot of help. Is, is there a way that, that you see BuzzFeed and Viacom combining successfully? I mean, you know, Kenny is is a massively – successful interesting person who has lots and lots of different pursuits this you know the the connection between uh, BuzzFeed and Viacom doesn't go any further uh, based on that relationship but we have lots of relationships with Viacom and are constantly in in discussions with them about uh, creating shows I mean obviously we're very close to NBC Universal right. um, and you know I think that there's there's a lot for us to learn uh, there. They're, they're very, very different business models. And the the notion of sort of reconciling them anytime, like immediately, I think is is sort of far-fetched. But you know, It's the, hard for me to imagine, but, uh, but it's been floated, so I, I figured I would ask you. Well, yeah. um, uh, we talked about your talent. Um, you mentioned uh, Quinta is making a, a, a yeah. show for you for YouTube Red. She was someone that started working for you, became a star. Very often in media today, someone becomes popular on one platform or they get, they get an audience and they leave and want to go somewhere else and, and translate that into they want to go to a different platform, they want TV, etc. This is something you guys have been sort of thinking about, for, I think, and maybe changing your perspective on for the last year. So what's your thought about someone who comes and creates something with you at BuzzFeed and then wants to do something else with that? Well, I mean, you know, we have a fundamental challenge, which is to create a, a work environment that is rewarding and that leans into uh, skill sets and opportunities that aren't available in other places. And for us, you know, you're you're absolutely right. The the, the folks that appear in videos uh, do become stars. I mean, and that's you know certainly not limited to just the development partners that we have a specific relationship with. But all of the folks that are appearing in these videos, right, they're all stopped on the street. And, and uh, you know, for me, the marketplace of talent is one that's that's kind of broken. I also, really – well, I think that because of how everything is uh, shifting and changing, the number of traditional avenues that can – that can lead to a successful creative career where you have really great relationships with people and are pressed to, you know, uh, do your best work and, and get your work out in front of audiences is, is narrowing. There's really? Fewer and fewer I, thought, I thought it was the other way. For, in, traditional, in traditional avenues, uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's narrowing in the long view in terms of television shows and movies and things like that. Isn't this a golden age of TV? Are we making a million awesome TV shows? And yeah, I, there's I, lots of people paying money 
the, we, traditionally this would have been three networks and now there's a million? Yeah, I'm talking about a career. I'm talking about stable careers. Uh, so I think that there are like a good amount of opportunities for do, people to do a show and, uh, you know, have a limited run of success. I don't think that those opportunities necessarily net out with, uh, you know, the, the possibility of a great career. So for, for me, what I'm really interested in with talent development is exposing, you know, our talent to a wide range of opportunities, help, you know, helping them understand not only the, the craft of being being talent, but also how to make things, how to promote it, the business of it, the marketing, the distribution. And this keeping, is the multi and continuing to work with them and having them work for you. And it sounds a bit like the old sort of studio system. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that you know, in some cases, in some cases, I think studio for many, many pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's certainly one way that the relationship can play out. I think in some cases. People will want to take a sort of sojourn off into into the the, the world of uh, gigs, right? Like yeah. these sort of like one off gigs, and I, I you know I certainly can't blame people for doing that. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's you know ultimately it, it's it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us to create a really vibrant, exciting space where you're learning a lot of things and have a lot of opportunities to do stuff that you can't really do on your own. I spent what you know. 13 years on my own, like, you know, just making media by myself. Yeah, you were literally a one-man uh, show. Yeah, and, and you know, I know what that's like, and I, I know the, the benefits and some of the trade-offs that, that come with working in a, you know, highly supportive uh, atmosphere. I just think that it's a, better, it's a better system for the future of creative talent. You were a one-man video guy back in the early days of internet video, when mm-hmm. internet video was like a thing that was difficult to get on your desktop computer. And then I think you stopped, right? You stopped making videos at some point. Mm-hmm. Had Jonah Pretty not reached out to you and said, we're starting up this BuzzFeed video thing, or I want you to start up BuzzFeed video for me, what, what would you be doing today? Uh, that's a great question. I don't totally know. I mean, you know, I, I had moved into the, the world of startups, right? I had a, a kind of gaming startup that was, that was going sideways. I had already pivoted into video at that point when – BuzzFeed bought the the company. My guess is that I would I would be in that space. You'd be making video. I think I'd be making video. Somewhere. Yeah, I mean the it's it's really really difficult. I mean the landscape changes so quickly. I don't think that I would be, you know, working with as many talented amazing people or or you know, working at the scale that I'm working at. That's for sure. You think you're more of a, a solo operator? Do I think I'm more? Yeah, of a solo I mean because now you're, now you're out in public. Now you're managing. Many hundreds of people and many hangers of uh, – you're a very public person. You have a profile. But it sounds like you're sort of saying you – know, for a long time, you're sort of creating your own media by yourself, a one-man show. Uh, the, you know, in terms of pure – you know, creative space, that is certainly the idiom that that I'm much more used to, you know, in terms of just making stuff. This job has activated a different part of my brain, which is trying to understand systems and also trying to understand, you know, how people work together at at scale. And it's, it's been incredibly exciting. It is a very different part of my brain than, you know, when I narrate true facts videos or, or, you know, do comedic talks or things like that. Are you still making stuff? I, am, I see. I see you on stage selling stuff to advertisers, but do you do you make your own videos? I have not made a video in about a year, a little over a year. I'm gonna scratch that itch occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. 
Thank you for your time today. I want to let you go back and make videos or whatever else you want to do. All right. <laughs> this was fun. If you guys like listening to this conversation as much as I like having this conversation with Zay, the good news is there are many places to find conversations just like this. You can look up Recode on iTunes and Google and Spotify. Um, there are many other awesome Recode shows from Kara Swisher and Lauren Good. All we ask is that you tell a friend about it. If you feel really generous, you can go... Uh, you can review us in one of the stores, too. That's cool. Thank you for Digital Media for helping produce this thing. And thank you again, Zay. See you guys next week. Thank you.